refreshing. Okay, ready? I'm ready. Wait. Now I'm ready. Oh, yeah. Legends. And we're coming to you um, at the very tail end of Thanksgiving 2021, uh, where we have been celebrating at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, we're currently in my basement in uh, a sort of sound room that I built myself, uh, although the ceiling is is really just using the insulation on the from the floor of the roof above. So if you hear some stomping, that's either of our wives, my mother, or one or all of my three dogs. <laughs> um, but I got to say, Brandon, th- this weekend, uh, the food mm-hmm. yeah. has been at a 10 across the board, right? It has. I mean, starting with those ducks. Mm-hmm. We did uh, three ducks over a spit. Oh. We did two ducks in the oven, just to compare. Uh, they were all great. Incredible. Um, and what else are some of the other highlights? You did a- I made my butternut squash soup. Butternut squash soup, yes, with the pancetta. And we had mashed potatoes and, um- and I think it was the next day. Who was your, yeah. was your neighbor who brought you the venison? Yeah, my neighbor shot a 10-point buck up in our top field and gave us about half of it. <laughs> so we, we cooked an entire backstrap and uh, Brandon made a red wine chocolate sauce for it. You gotta say it's not sweet and chocolate. It's kind of like a mole, so you don't really taste the chocolate. It's, right. It's, uh, it's not like a sweet candied thing. And we uh, we had that with uh, your wife Sharon made an amazing pho. Yeah. And then last night we had you guys made fresh linguine mm-hmm. with a pistachio um, a pesto sauce. Pestos, yeah. Um, and scallops. Yeah, parsley pesto with pistachio. And scallops over oh. fresh linguine. That's that's been the skill that I've picked up over uh, quarantine is making fresh pasta. Uh, ever it's, since discovering French pasta way too late in my life, I have mm-hmm. come to the firm conclusion that that dried pasta should be illegalized. <laughs> there really is no comparison. By his first act as president. <laughs> Ban all dried pre-made <laughs> pasta. Right. It's a crime against humanity. <laughs> but uh, it just occurred to me that this is going to be the 12th installment of The Drop. This is the segment where we just bring to you everything that we've been reading, seeing, watching, hearing uh, as a way to to keep the creative juices flowing while we're working on our, our upcoming season. And... Um, Wait, what was that? I was going to say something about that. <laughs> um, and I've got to say, I've really been enjoying these segments. Uh, I've discovered some things through you that have, mm. uh, I have to thank you for. I, last time you convinced me, finally, to watch Bo Burnham Inside, and man, was it worth it. Welcome to the internet. 
have a look around. Anything that brain of yours can think of can be found. We've got mountains of content, some better, some worse. If none of it's of interest to you, you'd be the first. Welcome to the internet. Come and that was truly inspirational. Uh, he just, Bo, Bo Burnham wins lockdown, hands down. It's, it's an incredible work of art. And if you haven't seen it, you should go to Netflix. Check out Bo Burnham Inside. It is not a comedy special. Nope. He was paid to do a comedy special, <laughs> but he did not deliver a comedy special. It's funny. It's funny, but it's a whole lot of other things as well. Welcome to the internet. Put your cares aside. Here's a tip for straining pasta. Here's a nine-year-old who died. We got movies and doctors and fantasy sports. And I think maybe I said this last time, but I think what uh, gets your attention about it is what sets it apart is what well, is funnier because of the moments where it's not funny, right? It's like he kind of takes it's, it's a roller coaster ride and it's um, not pleasant 100% of the time. So then when the funny bits happen, they're just, they're just so much more meaningful rather than a comedian who's up there just trying to top the last piece of the last joke, the last gag over and over and over again, there's kind of a law of diminishing returns that comes into effect there, I think, usually, unless it's like, you know, a, a master at the top of their game. But um, because of he, the, the journey he takes you on uh, when it's funny, it's it's uh, it's 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 devastatingly funny. Anything and everything all of the time. Good. I interest you in everything all of the time. A little bit of everything all of the time. Apathy's a tragedy and boredom is a crime. Anything and everything all of the time. Well, let's uh, let's get on to the new stuff. What what do you got for us this week? Well, first, since last time uh, you uh, mentioned you want me to watch Heat. Yeah. Which was not the Michael Mann Heat, but the Burt Reynolds and the and Peter McNichol, written right. by William Goldman. William Goldman, right? Exactly, Prince of uh, Princess Bride, uh, screenwriting yeah. fame. Uh, you did not tell me that it was uh, that it, it was that that it was kind of rough. In Las Vegas, you've got to be tough. Ah! They're coming to kill you, asshole. Ah! God, my eye! I hit my own eye. I'm not gonna run. I don't know how to hide. I, it's it's been a long time since I've seen this. <laughs> um, I did like it a lot, yeah. but it's uh, it's it has a, there's a grimness in in it somewhere that's not what I was expecting. But I think that may have helped actually because I went into it. I like having my expectations usurped, so I went in going expecting like a buddy comedy, and there's an element of that in there, but there's there's a lot more too. So uh, anyway. I actually followed up on your recommendation as well this time. Uh, but since then, before we get to like what we're watching and stuff, like what have you been doing? Well, uh, thanks for asking. Um, you know, I've, <laughs> I've been doing uh, a lot of soul searching um, while I'm doing woodworking in the shop. Um because I'm about to become a father. <gasps> what? That's yeah, that's in the offing. It's uh, it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Actually, I know. Yeah. So oh I've God. been doing a lot of thinking about, you know, it's big responsibility introducing another person to the to the planet and to the universe. And um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about how I want to do that 
And I want to be responsible for that. And so I, I'm glad you asked that question because actually uh, it was my intention to come to the, into this episode today to, um, instead of recommending stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing in the moment, I'm, I'm going to share with the audience the things that I've decided I know I want to share with my daughter. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's going to be an ongoing thing. It's not a, it's not a list that you're going to unspool uh, right here now. But. I, I, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, these are going to be my recommendations okay, on this got episode. It. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, well, um, I have been conducting an interesting experiment, uh, or Sharon and I have been conduct conducting an interesting experiment. Um, you know, listeners may know that I spent the last almost 10 years building a cabin up in the Catskills, yeah. very remote. Like it's, it's impossible to get to, well, not impossible or I wouldn't go, but it <laughs> takes, um, it's damn near impossible. You need a four wheel drive. It's over, almost, it's almost a mile of very bad road in and out of, uh, you know, dry Creek beds and running water. It's, it's a truck commercial, right? Yeah. You know, um, but we spent all this time building it and then not that much time living there. So we thought after the year that Sharon and I have had, we thought, let's just get out of Brooklyn for a while. So we have been, we have done about two months, uh, straight, almost straight up there. Uh, it's rustic, you know, there's, uh, uh, no, real running water that you'd have in a house anyway. No, our, our, our solar farm died. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> uh, so no real electricity either. <laughs> um, and I have become an, uh, I've learned how to boost cell phone signals. I risked my neck and climbed up a giant tree and installed an aerial uh, cell phone boosting amplifier up into a tree. And because uh, we're down in a valley. Um, it's what surprised me about all of it is that it hasn't been that hard. The only thing that it's done, which was part of the intention, uh, was to kind of cut us off from really fast, easy internet. Um, and I think that's been a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's been nice to have to wake. You have to wake up in the morning and start a fire because it's cold yeah. and everything just becomes, everything just gets simpler everything gets stripped down to its basics a little bit in a really, really nice way, but it hasn't, I would not call it difficult at all. It's been, it's been very, very, very nice. And speaking of stripping things down, you, we had this experience together about a month ago. Yeah. I, I was going to say, we, we, we were talking earlier about how uh, Brandon and I went camping with a crew of our friends a few weeks ago. And it was, um, I was saying how it wasn't until I, I came off the trail uh, that I realized I felt like I had taken a Valium <laughs> and that feeling lasted for about two weeks. And oh, by the uh, way, I put a Valium in your canteen. <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but Brandon said, ah, oh, yeah, I guess I, I just went from camping to camping and back to camping. So I'm always that way. <laughs> yeah. I can't say I'm always that way. You had contract, you had like, it's, it's, it's really instructive when you've got contrast like that Yeah, because you didn't, you weren't camping. <laughs> no. And, and I hadn't been camping in a while. I know. Yeah. It's been a while. So that's one of the things I wanted to do before the baby comes. And yeah, that, yeah. thank you for doing that with me. That was great. Oh yeah. It was terrible. I you're lucky. I went now. You know, Anson sent an email to all of us, like selfish thing. I am about to become a father. I'm not gonna have any more time. You gotta go do this now. 
now. <laughs> and we all did. And it was great. Yeah. It was great. I'm glad you did. This is someone I've been listening to for a while. This is a music thing. John Fahey. I know that name for some reason. I was listening, we were listening to it on the camping trip. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's sort of, you know, he's been, I mean, he, he died a long time ago, but I just sort of now discovered him. He was recording mostly throughout the 60s and 70s. Uh, he's a sort of blues folk innovator, all instrumental. Uh, just him and a guitar. So he's my, as a guitar player, he's my new guitar hero to inspire me to mostly give up because I can't imagine doing what he does on a guitar. And this may sound weird, but this is how I felt the first time listening to John Fahey. I, as you know, as a very, very amateur guitar player, I always have like tunes kind of you know, swirling around in the back of my mind, things I wish I could play, you know, little improvisational things I wish I could play, but can't. And the first time I heard John Fahey, I thought, oh, it was a big relief. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, well, now I don't have to put that pressure on myself because now somebody else has gone and done it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's, it, it, it jibes very weirdly with like, you know, if I were a virtuoso you know, six string guitar player, I feel like that's what I would want to play. That's the kind of thing I would, that's my inclination, you know, it's my tendency. I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful, it's beautiful driving music. We listened to it while we were driving to, uh, uh, through Northern Pennsylvania on the camping trip. It was a long drive and John Fahey kept very, very good company. Yeah, that was great. It was a gorgeous drive, really. Yeah, autumn, everything was a Cosby sweater. Everything looked <laughs> beautiful. I'll just I'll just start uh, with the, the first thing that occurred to me when I, I realized I, I I was able to program the imagination of a child. Um <laughs> <laughs> An awesome power. <laughs> um I do know, I knew one thing immediately, and I assume this is out there somewhere, um, but I, I know that I'm going to be buying the box set of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Oh, yes. Um, from a very early child, my, my mother still loves to tell the story how... There was nothing that would quiet me like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood when it oh, yeah. when it came on. That I would just be hypnotized mm -hmm. um, by Mr. Rogers, and that I have to say that uh, it continued on into my adult life. I don't know why, but every time he comes on, I find myself stopping, mm -hmm. and because because the lessons he teaches are. They don't stop being important mm -hmm. and they don't stop being complicated sometimes. Good point. Um, what an incredible man. Um, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary that came out mm -hmm. recently, uh, did a very good job of, of explaining why. 
he was so important. You know, we talked a lot. We talked to LeVar Burton on this this podcast about his his relationship with Fred. And um, yeah, I, I, I want that in my daughter's life. Absolutely. Won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor, my neighbor. You get at the taproot of morality and ethics the way he did. That never... That's eternal. That never gets old. If, <laughs> if 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 we depended on novelty or if it had to be new in order to be relevant, then we wouldn't still be talking about Jesus. And yes, I did just draw a parallel between Jesus and Mr. Rogers because I think Mr. Rogers is a fantastic emissary, you know, the same thing that Jesus was tapped into. Yeah, it's I agree. How do you possibly argue well, he was, a, he was a minister. Yeah, he was a minister, yeah. but he never talked about yeah. faith in his show, not once. Yeah. Because he knew that wasn't the point. Because that becomes dogma, that becomes a club, and he knows that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I'm getting weepy. I'm very concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder, in noise rather than silence. How do we do that? I mean, um, why is it then you think that so many people come up short on self-esteem and on believing in themselves and having confidence to go out and take on uncharted waters? Probably because of very early on in our lives that we weren't valued you know, the greatest gift we can give anybody, any little child, is to help that child know that, you know, you're a part of our family and you're, you're a welcome part and there are things that you can do to enhance our family. I also know that uh, I will be, as she matures and is able to take these these things in. Uh, I do know I will be introducing her to the never-ending story. Mm-hmm. Maria? What is the secret of this enchanted book? What wonders are hidden within its pages? What magical spell does it cast on all who read it? What is the secret of the never-ending story? Um, yeah, absolutely. A movie that, that operates on the power of reading, which, oh, okay. you mentioned The Princess Bride earlier. That's another one that was, that is on my list for my daughter that also, uh, depends upon the, the power of, of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love both of those movies for that. It's a, it's a, a, a movie inspired by an entirely other medium or, or mode of encountering material. It's true. It's really I really love those, both of those movies for those reason, for that reason specifically, and they're great films. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know you were a never-ending story fan. Oh, absolutely. I like it better than Labyrinth, and I like Labyrinth. Well, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to start a fight here in the in this tiny booth. <laughs> um. 
Here's a weird one. I'll just go through this one really quick because it's probably, this is just a me thing. There might be one other person out there that goes, oh, thanks for the recommendation, Brandon. I might do that. Uh, because it's only, first of all, it's weird and it's on Criterion and I don't know how else to get it. But uh, Toby Dammit mm-hmm. is the name of it. It's a 1968 Federico Fellini adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's Never Bet the Devil Your Head. But what's strange about it is that it's not a feature. It's 43 minutes. I don't know what the market for this thing was, right? Like, right. Especially back in 1968. I'm a big Fellini fan, and I've never heard of this. It's, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, well, it stars Terrence Stamp uh, as a British actor in Italy. And he is, uh, has a, a severe drinking problem, and he's uh, sort of staggering his way through this publicity junket for some movie. Um, and I won't say much more about it other than it's a, it's a nice way. If you're new to Fellini, it's, a, it's a, a great way to not spend a lot of time getting an introduction to Fellini. It's only 43 minutes. And then after that, you'll know whether or not you like Fellini if you're, if you're new to him. Uh, but if you like Fellini, then you're already going to like it. Um, it's just, you know, I just, as, you know, as a filmmaker, I just, as a formalist, I, I, I love uh, the, the, the attention that he gives every shot. Every shot is a, is a sentence. It's a very full sentence. And says so much, and he never returns to it. You know, it's always a new visually. It just it's always moving. It's always always moving. And it's but it's Fellini, so it's surreal, a little dreamlike. Um, and uh, Terrence Stamp gives a uh, <laughs> he he gives a, a crazy over the top performance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And by the way, we should also say. Um, uh, for people who might not be familiar with this segment, we will be including links to all of these things that we're recommending in the show notes of the episode, which you can find at our mm-hmm. website, thewellpod.com. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out what I want to talk about next. Um, I think I'm going to, I'm going to start with, a, uh, okay. I think I'm going to do a musical interlude here. Um, I am definitely, I I told my wife this recently, there's going to be no, there's going to be no mass marketing kids music in the car. (laughs) It's going to be seventies rock and roll and the same era of country. That's it. (laughs) Okay. With some, with a few outliers. Hold on a second. Can I just put a little parenthetical in there? All right. He has not yet had the new father experience. That's the caveat. Okay. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, But I, it is also equally important to me that my daughter, my daughter be educated in, in the classics in all mediums. And that includes music and I happen to be a fan of Antonio Vivaldi mm-hmm. um, amongst many other towering figures in classical music. But what makes Vivaldi interesting to me was not only that he, he, he was dominant in the Baroque period, but he found a way of breaking the rules. And... What I mean by that is, um, 
you know, the, you know, the Baroque period, we, we actually Baroque has become a word that we use to describe something that's mm-hmm. overly mm-hmm. gaudy or overly decorated, Overdone. right? It's, there's a lot going on in Baroque music, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But he wrote this one movement that, uh, is, it's in a larger work called Stabat Mater, and it is one of the most brilliant things in its simplicity I've ever heard. It, it's, it is an amazing example of, in fact, I'll, I'll go so far as to say this. I think that it is a musical statement that freedom comes out of structure and not the absence of structure. I'll say that again. Freedom, especially for artists and creators, freedom comes from structure, not the absence of structure. There is this piece that begins with these, this just incredibly, it's just this, it's not normal. It's just <laughs> this group of violins doing this strange staccato thing and out of the middle of it comes this liquid human voice that's been hiding inside. The way, the way that, the way that this conductor figure out how to make her voice rise out of the violins school with him and I don't remember his name now but uh, music studies person we talked about this piece oh really and he you're gonna love this the way he describes that moment he said it's like stepping off of an up of a of an up moving escalator <laughs> oh <laughs> like I like that actually quite realize that like oh am I moving or is the ground moving right, right. yeah like, and, and it's so yeah. subtle it just it rises underneath you and suddenly you're and for and for him to have done this to be the master of baroque to do this incredibly simple thing that is somehow more transportive than all of that other gaudy stuff it just it's it's the perfect example of of how he understood something deeper about creativity than just scoring 
a catchy tune, mm-hmm. you know? He he got this thing that I've always believed that mm-hmm. that the way we achieve freedom as creators is by bearing down on structure as much as possible and then finding our you know, finding the the fluidity within that. Right. No, this is I'm going to go, you know, far out. Not actually, I don't think it's far afield. I think you'll know what I mean. But, you know, I'm a big blues fan. And it's for the same reason. Mm. 12 bar blues is about as stripped down as simple as it gets. What makes, uh, you know, B.B. Uh, King, B.B. King, for example, is what he does in that structure. Because, man, there's not much. Uh, as, as somebody else put it, uh, actually, this is how I think how B.B. King put it. Uh, it's Southern cooking. You don't have a lot of ingredients. So you got to be real, real deliberate and know what you're doing in that little space to say, this is how you, this is my, my little cube here, my little square. What do I do with it? Yeah. And it turns out if you're creative, you know, like BB King or Vivaldi. And I just love the fact that I'm just throwing those two together. <laughs> um, you can do a lot. Oh yeah. Perhaps an even better example is William Shakespeare. Mm-hmm working within the very tight confines of iambic pentameter. I can't, that blows my mind every time I think about it. It, it, it I, when I, once I learned, a, when I start, when I was encouraged as a, as an actor to start seeing uh, Shakespeare's and in, in his contemporaries work through the lens of freedom through structure, huh. it made me realize that that isn't just there for some English Renaissance fad for poetry mm-hmm. it's it, it is there also to challenge the writer to think outside the box mm, right. to throw themselves up against a wall yes that that they normally would have just walked easily down a primrose path you get you you put a wall in the middle of that path and they have to figure out how to get around it and somehow it pulls out new ideas that bump up against each other in a really fantastic and if you if you have the talent, <laughs> you know that 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 it becomes fireworks, right? And it becomes it, it does things to language we wouldn't have thought of doing if it, it was if it was quite so easy. Uh, to give it a sort of a neurological underpinning, the brain doesn't become really creative and resourceful until it has to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Until you say you can't do that. Right. And the brain's like, oh yeah, hold on, give me a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We talked about this a little bit. You haven't seen it yet, but Midnight Mass on Netflix. I walked across an empty land. I knew the pathway like the back of my hand. Welcome home, honey. Where you belong. Uh, directed by Mike Flanagan. He recently did Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Which is very good. You were telling um, about this earlier. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to be super hyperbolic here and say it's the most sophisticated uh, and intelligent treatment of that intersection between horror and religion that I've seen since The Exorcist. Wow. And, by, and by the way, um, horror and Good morning. And, and religion yeah, pretty close cousins anyway mm. you know I mean the Bible has a lot of horror in it sure 
And I don't want to give anything away about this, about Midnight Mass. It's incredibly smart. I, I have one criticism of it. There's a lot of literal sermonizing <laughs> because uh, uh, Hamish Linkletter plays a priest in it and he's delivering sermons. Right. And this seems to be, I mean, it's like a seven part series. And I would say a solid 20, 30 percent of that whole seven episodes is Hamish sermon standing at a pulpit talking mm-hmm. but these are sophisticated adult conversations about um, whether or not you know there is a God and if he is is he is he merciful what does he do to test us I'm tempted to say a lot more about it because it gets into tying together some really really ancient mythologies that predate the Bible. Oh wow! In ways that ex- it becomes an origin story for like ninety percent so of every horror film, horror idea you've ever read or heard. Um, there's a lot of conversation, and, and for people who aren't necessarily fans of horror, you should still give it a shot because, uh, like I said, a, a, most of the film is uh, mostly talking. And it's mostly people having very sophisticated conversations about religion and about faith and about mortality. So much so that, you know, entire episodes will go by and you'll forget. I thought this was a horror thing because it doesn't it doesn't push that element at all, but it uses it very, very, very intelligently for when. um I guess you could say when the conversation doesn't just run out, but when it, it can't be, it can't just be talked about anymore. The ramifications and difficulty has to become dramatized in a very physical sort of way. I was pretty knocked out. And you, did you, you didn't work with Hamish. Did you just, no, I've, I've known Hamish for, since we were in our twenties, but I no, I've never had the opportunity to work with him. And I very much want to, because I, I think he is an incredible actor, both on stage and screen. I was, I was knocked out. Yeah. yeah. And I was in his mother, obviously was one of yeah. my, my, my biggest influences. His mother is, is who just passed in the past couple of years, uh, is one of the most celebrated voice teachers ever. <laughs> she yeah. is, uh, she she sort of changed the game in um, vocal actor training um, and founded the link later method. It's mm-hmm. that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And she uh, she was uh, head of the program at my graduate school for a while and just an amazing, amazing woman uh, had one of the most profound experiences of my um, artistic life with her. Actually, we, we were invited to go spend about 12 days uh, on Santorini Island in Greece uh, with a group of actors and philosophers and one neurosurgeon to have a a symposium on, um, on the voice and what, what, what it means to have voice. And it was uh, us learning a lot about, uh, the depth of that concept from the philosophers. And it was getting to watch these philosophers, some of whom were emeritatis and, and in their golden years, mm-hmm. 
having a deep vocal experience for the first time in their lives. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, inc- that's amazing. I, I, I really thought, I really want you to see it because I knew a little bit about that story. And I knew a little bit about Kristen. Yeah. Linklater, her, yeah. Hamish's mother. Um, while I was watching Midnight Mass, because I was particularly taken by Hamish's voice. Mm-hmm. There's a lifetime of patience in in his voice. I mean, it's not just every word. I mean, it's deep, deep in his core. There's a wrestling uh, with the meaning of every word that he says. There's a, a patience in everything that he says that just, it, I don't know how he does it, but it just feels just the sound of his voice. You immediately know this person has heard so much. This person has hide, has had to, this character has had to uh, forgive so much, has had to be, has had to learn patience beyond patience, beyond patience, beyond patience, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, he's a, he's, he's a uh, small town priest and he's trying to, and the sins of the whole community are in his head. <laughs> and that comes across somehow in just everything that he says. Mm. And if I don't usually do this on the show, but if he isn't at least nominated and wins a lot, it's just proof. There's a bias against horror in the industry. And because I haven't seen a better performance this year. Wow. That's a hell of a statement. I yeah. got to check it out. Well, I'm, uh, I'm on to books and, um, there's a slew of them (laughs) that I want to share with my daughter, but uh, I'll spare you the whole list. Uh, um, You know, I I do know that, that, you know, I had a, I think a lot of us had a compendium of Grimm's fairy tales somewhere in the house, Oh yeah, but I'm going to have to be selective with them because those are terrifying. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Um, Tales of the Arabian Nights. We also had on the, the shelf and when I was slightly older in grade school and uh, was homesick one day. Um, actually, I was, I was out with the flu, so for, I was sick for a week or so. And I, I now, you know, I was just in bed watching TV and my father went out and he bought me this beautiful volume of Mark Twain. And he came in and he said, do me a favor, turn off the TV, read the, start with Tom Sawyer read for a half an hour. And if you don't like it, turn the TV back on. I did not touch that TV again. I went straight through Tom Sawyer. I went straight through Huckleberry Finn. And then I went on to the poetry. And so I'm, you know, I'm definitely sharing, sharing that with my daughter. And then when she gets slightly older, I'm definitely going to make sure that she reads one of the books that we read in Southern Lit. I am one of you forever by Fred Chappell. Beautiful. I have bought this book almost as much as The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho for friends of mine, which will also be on the list. Um, but I Am One of You Forever, Fred Chappell, it is, uh, it's a, it's, it seems to be a book about childhood at the beginning because it's through the eyes of, of his younger self when he was growing up in North Carolina. And it's a series of chapters 
and his dealings with all the men and his family. And there's, they're, they're disjointed in terms of time. And you're not entirely sure why until you get deeper into the book. But it's, a, it's really about the complexities of growing up and being an adult, particularly a man, um, seen through the eyes of a, of a, of a child. And it's, it's, it is beautifully innocent at times. It's heartbreakingly sad at others. And it is life affirming in a way that I haven't experienced in a lot of other books. Mm -hmm. So I'm one of you forever by Fred Chappell. You got anything else? Well, I think we're both watching this, but I'm, uh, we may be in sync or not on this. I don't know. Succession. Oh yeah. Whoa, Nelly. Everyone's going to battle in armor, and I'm sitting here exposed. Logan is going to fire a million poisonous spiders down your dicky. That that sounds like kind of dramatic, Tom. Oh yeah. That is blowing my mind. That's the, the best writing I've seen on TV yeah, since I, The Sopranos. I think I was telling you the other day um, that I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that I was, I became addicted to in which I couldn't root for anybody. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But then you reminded me that, that it was the same filmmaker that made uh, the death of Stalin, which is one of my favorite comedies of probably the past 10 Mm -hmm. or 20 years. Mm -hmm. What's his name? Armando. Iannucci. Iannucci. Yeah. 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 It's, I've been enjoying the hell out of it. And I think it's just one of the best cast things on TV. Yeah. I can't, what's, what's amazing me is, you know, they're, you know, we're like mid season three right now. And I don't know how they keep tightening the weave on this thing. (laughs) You know, I'm like, it becomes almost unbearable. (laughs) And yet, I don't like anybody on the show. Right. Like, right. Nobody's a good guy. Uh, but Death of Stalin is another one to check out. And we haven't talked about that on the show. I can't say too much about it that, about giving it away, but I'll just say it starts as a comedy. I propose we call a doctor. <laughs> All the best doctors are dead. And the closer it gets to the end, you're reminded of where this story is coming from in history. Yeah, it takes this little pivotal moment in history of basically just a couple of days. Yeah. And and about which we know very little. And it's uh he he makes he makes it into a, a farce about power. Yeah. And it's Ah, it's fantastic. And, and exactly. And it's funny oh, until you reminded at the end of what the real world consequences were of that moment. Right. Right. And then the whiplash of that, because, you know, fiction and comedy can tell a deeper truth. We all know that. But then when it slams up against the historical record and you're reminded of it, it really kind of leaves you reeling. When I said no problem, what I meant was... No problem. Yeah. Yeah. The death of Stalin. Check it out. You, (laughs) you won't be disappointed if you're into comedy. 
I've had nightmares that make more sense than this. You will not take me down! I will not be silent! So I talked about a couple of books that I'd like my daughter to read in her younger years, but as, as she gets older, um, you know, I, the one thing, the one quality that I, I really want to instill in my daughter, as I've told my wife, is a sense of wonder at the universe. And that's, that's I think that's really at the crux of my friendship with you, Brandon, because mm-hmm. you, you have that in spades. Um, and I, I want her to have a, a just a, a, a churn pot of provocative, um, unanswerable <laughs> big ideas about who we are, what we are, where we are, why we are. Mm-hmm. And so um, a couple of the books that, um, you know, and I, I come to this um, through, through physics. Um, and I'm a big fan of books about theoretical physicists that are written so the layman can understand them because mm-hmm. I, I do not have a background in higher physics or higher mathematics, uh, but I'm a sucker for the stuff. And uh, there are two books that have blown my mind in the past few years. One is The Fabric of Reality by uh, David Deutsch, who is at uh, Oxford. And he, um, he was one of the early progenitors of the multiverse. Mm. Uh, but he he in this book he he attempts to walk you through his theory of everything which includes uh working knowledge of of quantum mechanics quantum computing epistemology it it is it is a towering work of thought in a little book i i will be honest with you i'm i'm i was able to understand about 70% of this book. So don't feel bad That's a lot. <laughs> if you can't, if you can't take in a, a more or as much, uh, but it's worth it for the few ideas that really did blow my mind, including quantum. You know, we really should, we need to do an episode at some point about, about um, quantum physics. That's an easy one. And its implications. <laughs> um, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> maybe we five. actually did. That's like a five minute maybe episode. We, maybe, well, in another world we did, right? <laughs> we already did that episode. Because um, <laughs> it's mind-blowing stuff. Uh, and the other book that that uh, I have held on to is um, Our Mathematical Universe by Max Tegmark. He's the big theoretical guy at MIT. And... He wrote this book, which caused a, a bit of a, a, a furor. <laughs> He's a little bit of, a, of an upstart in uh, a troublemaker, which I always like, in that he, he posits a new idea of reality. Uh, but it starts with a very good walkthrough of the what the multiverse could look like. Um, and there are four levels of this. There's the, there's the level one universe, which is an extension of the universe. We know it just goes on for infinity, the level two universe, which is the idea that there are constantly new universes bubbling out of other ones that each have, um, physical constants of different values. And we just happen to be in the one that supports life. It's fine tuned 
seemingly mm-hmm. to support life. The level three, which is the many worlds interpretation of quantum fi- mechanics that we we're just talking about. And then he posits a new theory of everything, <laughs> which is kind of mind blowing. He, he starts out by saying for the, for all of mathematical and physical sciences history, we've, we've always said, wow, mathematics seems to be, it somehow seems to be predictive of the physical world. That if something works on paper in mathematics, it can be expressed in the physical world. And if we see a phenomenon in the physical world, there's a way to express that in mathematics. Mm-hmm. He says, why don't you cut out the middleman? Mm-hmm. Why can't the universe be a mathematical function? Mm-hmm. And then he takes you down that rabbit hole <laughs> in a way, because at first it seems absurd, right? But then he takes you down this rabbit hole that is, uh, is it's mind blowing. And it's really, it's coming out of a lot of different, um, a lot of different thoughts uh, about the multiverse, mm-hmm. about simulation theory, right. about digitization and the implications of what we understand we're becoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's all I got. That's it. That's that's just it. the nature of reality. It's just the fabric of reality. The fabric that's of reality all. is all you got. Okay. What's the name of that book? Our Mathematical Universe by Max Tegmark. And the one before that? The Fabric of Reality by David Deutsch. Okay. And these are going to be read as bedtime stories to your daughter. Oh or? No, 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 no. Is there a pop up? This book is version? this is this is for my adult daughter. Okay, this is your. <laughs> Or, or if she decides that she wants to study philosophy or physics a bit earlier than, than that. <laughs> no, just dump right, dive right into it. Because because baby brains are incredibly plastic. They can take on just about anything. Uh, I would say, uh, yeah, just, but, uh, but, just start reading to her or as soon as she pops out. But I will, I do know that I will be investing in a telescope. Um, so I think we've arrived at the tail end of our show which oh yeah now tradi- yeah tradi- is, yeah the new tradition the i new like tradition this. is a reading from harper's magazine what's this one i'm excited uh it's so hard to be uncle phil from, <laughs> uncle phil was pretty good man from the last one <laughs> i don't know that I, that's it's it's hard to top but uh so this is from harper's magazine uh, it's a little sidebar called Writing Wrongs from prompts in 642 Things to Write About. <laughs> but no more, no less, apparently. A book distributed. Sorry, sorry, say, say again. Where is this from? This is from a book distributed to seniors at Hudson High School Got in it. Hudson, Ohio. Okay. Now, this, there's a news story here. I don't know if you remember this. In September, so is this, this, this new prompt, writing prompt thing come out. After parents complained that the book asked students to write about sex and beer. <laughs> so the mayor called for the city school board members to resign. So I don't, we don't have that list of what the original writing prompt thing was to give uh, Hudson High School seniors ideas to write about. But these are the new ones. And you can detect a little bit of uh, retributive <laughs> retribution in this. Like, okay. <laughs> You don't want to talk about sex and beer. Here are the new writing prompts. Number one, you are a peasant in 1890s Russia. 
There is no food. Revolution is in the air. The czars offer meals for your allegiance. What do you do? <laughs> Number two. No, this gets better. Number two. You are the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Write, <laughs> Write three different opening paragraphs for your autobiography, trying out different styles. Number three. You are the pilot of a jumbo jet, just realizing the plane may crash. What will you tell the crew and the passengers? Number four. Only 10 people will fit in the life raft. Persuade the captain that you should be one of them. Number five. Okay. Pick a dictator and write about an imaginary morning or day in his life. <laughs> Number six. Describe a moment when you were in physical pain. Number seven. Write about what you'll be worrying about in five years from now. <laughs> period, 10 years from now, period, 30 years from now. Oh, God. Man, that's grim. I've lost count. Next one. You wake up with a... <laughs> you wake up with a nameless feeling of dread in your gut, but you can't figure out what it is. Write down everything that could possibly happen during the day that could be something for you to dread. Oh, my God. Oh my god. What the hell are these people thinking? They're, they're writing wrongs. That's what they're doing. And then the last one. Last one. <laughs> Choose how you will die. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's, oh my god. It's unexpectedly grim, isn't it? It's so horrible. Oh man! And I didn't think that I knew. I didn't know how that was going to go over, but I knew it was grim. So here's another one, another sidebar from Harper's, shorter. Claws in effect from the two, from the 2021 Red Suit Survey. <laughs> Red Suit Survey. Yeah, which polled hundreds of professional Santas in the United States. Okay. First question in the poll: What made you decide to be a Santa? <laughs> Answers include, I had the look, I had the size, the kids needed me, I saw Santa staring back at me in the mirror, I have always had an attraction to Santa. Next question. I'm not sure how I feel about that last one. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Next question. Have you done something special as Santa? Answers. No, not really. Hmm. I'm not sure how to answer. I'm not comfortable with this question. I'm just an average man. I live in a log cabin. I have donated over 90 gallons of blood. <laughs> oh my God. The fact that he could not only kept track of it, but then dig the conversion. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> First thought is, what? 90 gallons? How long does that take? I mean, over time, obviously not all at once. You don't have that much, but it's crazy. Okay. I hope it was his. <laughs> That's a TikTok I saw the other day. This guy like coming out of a blood bank all mad. And he's like, 
It's like, that's the last time I tried to donate blood. So many questions. Like, what type is it? Uh, Where did you get it? Whose is this? (laughs) (laughs) He's he's carrying a bucket of blood. (laughs) All right. Uh, Last question. What impact has being Santa had on you? (laughs) It has given me courage. It has kept me sane, which is beautiful. I became a better person. I don't shave. I carry plastic coins. <laughs> which is odd. I only drive red cars. I am now part Santa. <laughs> it's cute, right? Yeah. It runs the gamut. New tradition at the end of the drop. A couple of uh, reviews. Oh, right. People were nice to write a review. So uh, here's one. They all have screen names that are unpronounceable, but I'll do my best. Tessanoli. 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 My first podcast, I'm Hooked. Five stars. Thank you guys for putting your energy, intellect, and joy into such an excellent podcast. I started from the beginning at your recommendation. So turns out it was good that we said that. And it's been so good. Nothing like hearing talented people talk about things they're passionate about. So many topics I never knew I was interested in. It's a joy to hear. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. We really appreciate that. We really do. It means a lot. FR. What is FR? It's John Mack, but it's FR John Mack. What do you think FR stands for at the front of French? (laughs) French John Mack. I was going to say the former John Mack. I don't know. Maybe. But FR John Mack writes, a great discovery. Five stars. Intelligent conversation. The interviews remind me of TV talk shows of long ago, such as Dick Cavett. Oh, wow. Now that that is right. a compliment. It is. I discovered the Well podcast after watching twice both seasons of Star Trek Discovery, leading up to and following my liver transplant June 30th. Well, gosh, John Mack, I hope that you went. It sounds like you um, got through that experience. That was intense. Yeah. Congratulations. Wow. Okay. The interviews with Doug Jones and Ethan Peck were enjoyable. Thank you for this wide variety of guests. And it stops. (laughs) This happened last time. There must be some kind of thing with how iTunes does reviews because we've had a lot of (laughs) we've had a lot of reviews that ends in (laughs) mid-sentence. Or... Don't say it. <laughs> or I'm no. no, I'm not gonna say it. Um and then one more. Uh me zero 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 one 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 writes thoughtful. The emphasis is on the person being interviewed. Interviews are thoughtful and not all the people who are just out selling their books. <laughs> which we really appreciate actually right because that was how this whole thing kind of started yeah that's right yeah right Every, everybody just has a thing where they're being promoted and you don't get all the in between you know life of the thinker it's just always a promotional thing so I, I, I like that you noticed that yeah. me 0001111 thank you very much guys for all of those amazing reviews it it, it keeps us going it means a lot because um, this is a this is a you know this is not, we don't get paid for doing, doing this. Um, we do it because we love it. Um, and we really, we really appreciate that you just listen. 
Um, so yeah. All right. Until next time, have a good time. Yeah. All the time. Next time, I'll be a daddy. <laughs> I'll put in a bigger. At least it wasn't sarcastic. No, no. <laughs> You're gonna be a dad. That's just that's just great. <laughs> the Well is produced, edited, and recorded by Anson Mount and Brandon Edgens. Theme music performed by Brandon Edgens based on a composition by Jonathan Myberg. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>